Okay, this is, I was trying it again because we don't, I don't know how to use anything. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> With that, welcome to our enthusiastically crappy podcast where we really try and live up to the name um, with revolutionary humans and raising luminaries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> this is season two. We're doing spring collaborations. Um, this is Asia Ray. And to get to today, we're in cahoots with our partner in degoodery, Bellamy Schaffner. So last week's episode, we talked about letting go of stigmatizing language, and we talked about how our internalized supremacy pops up in the way that we speak, um, the dangers of co-opting the language of revolution, that kind of good stuff. And then in this episode, we're going to talk about cultivating brave space relationships at home so our kids can call us out on our bullshit. Um, it's kind of helpful to have these little critical minions following us around and being like, hey, you said you weren't going to use the word stupid anymore. So, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how to accept critical feedback without being an asshat. And then we will briefly talk about good ideas to avoid and maybe some good ideas we did not avoid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. So we, we did this. So I'm going to pretend to be shocked because I already but, know in the first way. Uh, yeah, I just think that yeah, you can you'll never be able to replicate the initial the initial shock, but let's try it. Let's try. <laughs> let's try. <laughs> you said how are you? And I said <laughs> you were how's your mother's day? It's Mother's Day, everyone. And I said, We got a dog. There's only more things to take what? care of. <laughs> Insert shock and off. Um, yeah. So and I was, I, uh, yeah, so we went to the shelter. This is a, a, a plan many years in the making, yet I still feel like I didn't think it through at all. And like I made a terrible choice. Um, but I'm hoping that within a few days I'll like mellow out some. But uh, yeah, we got a dog for hope, mostly for the kids and like uh, mental health support and just teaching them more responsibility and all of that. Her name is Jupiter, um, and she is all the colors of Jupiter, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> That's all I have to say. She's got, a, she's got a lot of patterns and things happening. <laughs> okay, so I think the photo, there's a dog tag, so you're going to need to send a photo. Um, we'll put yeah. it in the show. But also, my first impression was, because so much of the time you're just going along minding your own business trying to stay afloat and then things happen to you so my very first thought was a dog showed up and broke into your home and wouldn't leave <laughs> right that does now I will say it was slightly more intentional than that but let me tell you we were in and out of the shelter in 20 minutes we walked like it was the fastest thing. I, I think that's also why I feel a little bit uneasy because it almost feels unreal how quickly it happened. We walked, we walked down the little kennel aisles and all of us were, it was so loud. And we also are prone to just being very sensitive. So it was also like, it was loud and sad. And we got to the last room and the person who was showing us around was like, I think I have one that'll work for you guys. We've never seen her like bark a whole bunch and this and that. We take this little dog outside. She immediately jumps on the kids. Everyone's happy, like easy as can be. And we're just like, okay, we'll take this dog. Like, 
And that's why it feels like a, a weird choice because like we went there to get a dog, but it just happened so fast. So she might as well have just shown up at the door. That is awesome. Because I'm so glad to hear that something is finally happening with your consent. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but I think that's why it feels so weird. You know, it's almost like, oh, there's a huge life change that I I chose fully. And I don't like I don't know how to be comfortable or okay with that almost it's a very weird retraining of uh whether or not I have any control over my life yeah thank you for helping me sort those feelings out I kind of feel like after like apartment hunting and stuff like that I'm surprised that the kennel was not a scam like you show up they actually had dogs there (laughs) right Right. And there was um, like the adoption fee was really low and they were like, oh, you just pay it. Come back on Monday, have her stayed and just pay it on Monday. Like everything was just easy and nice. Um, and I I keep saying like, well, this dog is so well behaved. This is someone's pet. Someone's going to see us on the street and just say, that's my dog. And then we're going to take our dog. So, <laughs> so I'm just very uneasy. And if ever anyone listening wondered if I was anxious because my life is anxiety inducing, yes, I'm anxious and I think someone's going to steal my dog. So <laughs> I'm trying not to get too attached. Maybe we, I understand that you like the colors of, that she is the colors of Jupiter, but maybe she needs like some temporary dog hair dye and like a dog <laughs> costume so people can't recognize her. Yeah, yeah, she might. Yeah, that's the thing. She has like such specific, like the back of her ears look, look like cheetah print. It's so weird. Like she has a such like a specific look that I'm like, someone if someone sees this dog, they will know it's their dog. Um, we can sp- spray paint the back of her ears. Get her a wig. Get her a wig. Get her a little, little wig. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> no. Well, no one will notice. No one will ever notice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, kind of bouncing off of our last episode where we talked about um, adjusting our problematic language and how it's hard to let go of some of the old remnants. Like for my family, it's the word stupid, um, crazy, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but my kids are really good at calling me out on that. Um, so they're like, mama, we don't say that. Like that's stigmatizing. <laughs> And it's really, really great that they call me out on that. And I'm trying to figure out how, as they're getting older, they're actually, both of them are turning um, eight and 10 in the next month or two. Um, So they are going to be getting more like closed off and more silent and being more hesitant about sharing things with me. Um, In some ways, I'm really looking forward to them developing a little bit of impulse control. (laughs) Tell me less. Please tell me, say less. If we could cut out, if we could cut out just a couple hours of monologuing about Minecraft, I would be delighted. <laughs> I hear that comes with the development of testosterone, and I am excited. Um, however, I want to make sure that they stay. They know that we live in a family, at least in our family, maybe not in the rest of the world, but in our family, um, we can speak truth to power. And even though we have power over them as their parents and we can acknowledge that Um, they feel if not comfortable, then they know that they're going to be safe. If we start to doing some, start to do something problematic. And I particularly think about how many kids are 
even kids who are raised by parents who are inclusive and say like have gay friends, like how many kids are like nervous about telling their parents and coming out to their parents? So how can we make sure that no matter what identities or stories or mistakes that they make, um, they feel comfortable or not comfortable, but they feel safe coming to us. They know exactly what's going to happen, what our response is going to be, what risks exist. Um, so we can create a brave space <clears throat> in our family. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, we'll get into it, what it means to have a brave space and stuff like that. But do you have any, any personal stories or ideas? Like, do you feel like your kids are comfortable telling you when you're doing something problematic? Um, I don't know. I can't, I, I, I don't know that I can honestly say, say, I think sometimes, um, but not, I, yeah, I can't really think of any exact examples though. I, I think they're good at speaking up generally, um, but maybe not about me or to me specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of thought that my kids would share everything with me because I am naive. <laughs> but like, you know, recently my kid did say something racist at school. And if, if the teacher hadn't sent me a note, I wouldn't know. Like he was fine talking about it once I brought it up, but it wasn't like he was, he wasn't busting through the door being like, mom, I'm racist. Like he was a little bit of shame. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. I think. <laughs> like yeah maybe not overshare uh, <laughs> but, but I want to make sure that he he feels comfortable or not again not comfortable um we have that to talk about things so okay and I think about how much how much in the dominant culture we're raised to stay silent and, and not necessarily even for the big things but like we kind of over time cultivate a culture of silence hoping that if we don't talk about something especially well it's still small and, and there's no proof it's easier to ignore that we just kind of hope that it will go away and that's kind of the root the root that maintains um, power inequity right like we, we, if we don't address what's going on in the room we can pretend it's caused by something else or something outside of our control and we can just hope it goes away like that like the idea of being colorblind <laughs> <laughs> okay so today we're going to cover um, why we need to know about this, why we can't assume our kids will always be honest with us, no matter how, how much we're trying, um, how taking time to listen to even like nonsense feedback builds trusting relationships, because sometimes the feedback my kids give me is like, mom, you didn't give me ice cream, you're mean. And it's like, clearly that's bullshit. I am a lovely person. Um, <laughs> but like, but we still have to respond to the feedback that we personally feel is bullshit in a way that centers the the impact that they're feeling. Um, we're going to talk about why we need to do it right away as opposed to waiting until our kids are like older, you know, when they're, we want to push this off, like having talks about big, complicated conflicts until they're older, but it's really important that we do it as soon as possible. Um, so the dangers of letting conflict, conflict um, fade or trying to let it fade without addressing it how we train our kids to stay silent through harm and how these little tiny things um, actually open them up to abuse and grooming in the future. And then the fears that keep us back from owning our problematic behavior because we are humans. Um, then we'll talk about how to transform, I guess, the way that we talk with our kids and, and be a little bit more proactive so we can um, 
send these children out to dismantle the patriarchy. <laughs> and then we will send everyone into the world with an assignment. Do you have thoughts? That sounds good. I, I will say I, I'm thinking that there are times that my kids question me when I'm contradicting myself or they're like these little, oh, well, you said this was going to happen. Or, so there is that. So I didn't mean to imply that I am perfect and they never have any complaints. They also, <laughs> they're also very interested in telling me all of the many things that I won't do or, or haven't done and can't afford. And so they like, they have their critiques. But yeah. <laughs> and I think about, cause like I, I was always, um, growing up, I was afraid of critiquing adults, right? Because like adults can do no wrong. Um, so it's, it's actively like, it becomes a, it becomes nerve wracking to talk to an adult and be like, what you just did was problematic because first of all, the understanding is because they're older and supposedly, I don't know, superior to children, they can't do anything wrong. So when they did do something wrong, I always internalized it and assumed it was me doing something wrong or perceiving something wrong. Um, and on the flip side, we also have like, um, I was talking to, I will not identify him, a, a white man with power in his company who has a, um, a woman working from, for him and she is terrible at her job and she takes over the conversation and she won't shut up even though they're like, this is a one minute update, we need you to shut up and they won't give her feedback. And, and part of the reason why he won't give her feedback is because she's a woman and he doesn't want to, um, you know, like critique her too much. And I'm like, yeah, but what does that do in terms of if you had a, a man talking too much, you would give him that feedback and you would keep giving him that feedback until he fixed it. So that way, when he goes on to get other jobs, he will be better at other jobs. And this is part of that glass ceiling that we have for people with targeted identities where they're not getting honest feedback um, from people with power because the people with power are too, um, it's, it's just soft sexism, right? Like soft bigotry in the forest. Yeah. I'm just not gonna try. <laughs> um, okay, so. <laughs> why we can't assume our kids will always be honest with us. Um, so we have oh, a deep-seated cultural norm where, um, and, and even in the most, you know, radically progressive families, um, kids are still being brought up with the understanding that kids speak when spoken to. I wasn't raised with that exact language, but there is kind of a, a like, how dare you speak to me that way, right? Or like the understanding that if a kid's taking up too much room or too much conversation, um, then they're being too chatty and they're not observing the room and they're not respecting their elders. So how do we actually have to talk about that, like actively point it out to kids so they don't just assume that that's the way all humans work, but it's actually something that comes from a deep root of oppression and silencing children and silencing people without power. And then we have that, that supremacist construct of the right to comfort. Who has the right to be comfortable in a relationship and in a situation? And it's usually the person with power expects comfort. And if someone challenges them, that makes them uncomfortable and it makes them angry because they feel entitled to that comfort. Whereas people without power do not feel like they have a right to comfort. And I don't know how this intersects with my whiny ass kids who feel like they always have the right to unlimited ice cream, candy, and comfort, but it exists. <laughs> I'll have to figure out how to untangle that. <laughs> um, but basically raising our kids to dismantle the hierarchy requires 
um, that we model, we first model and then we practice it with them, like requires accepting feedback with grace. And I've tried to do that. And now we're trying to push back into, especially the nine-year-old, how to give him feedback without him just whining. <laughs> I don't know how to get him to, to accept things with grace, but at least I can model it. Um, which means taking responsibility for the impact of our behavior, even when our kids' feedback seems like it's just not based in reality. Um, because I'm sure a lot of people, like our first gut reaction is like, no, that's not based in reality. That's not me. But very often it is. <laughs> then, <Right. laughs> um, so you just have to treat it like whenever I get criticism, I have to treat it like truth, even if my first gut instinct is like, that's just bullshit. Um, and but also not pretending that critical feedback is easy to hear, not just being like, oh, thank you. Like, I am some like above human magnanimous person who can hear criticism without having any feelings about it. Like, no, be honest about it. We're going to talk about co-regulating and how to work through that. And then also just like the concept of tone policing, like how do we avoid tone policing our kids while teaching them to speak respectfully? Because we want them to respect people in general. Um, they don't get to just like rail off anything they feel like talking about. Um, they do have to, you know, read the room and, and just be not asshats. So <clears throat> uh, in terms of a brief overview of what we need to know before we even get, get into this is a brief overview of ageism and who gets to speak. So if you, I wish I had like studies to cite, but typically people with power, if they see someone with less power speaking up, even if they're not speaking as much as the people in the room with power, they're perceived as being louder, more aggressive and taking up more of the talking time. Um, so we're kind of like, because it's so unusual, we're, we're trained to notice the irregularity. And then, so sometimes when our kids speak up to us or someone who has less power than us speaking up to us, it can feel aggressive. And that's just mostly based on our perception and not actual reality. So like, we need to take that into account. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on tone policing or, I mean, we all have so many. No. Frustrating. <laughs> I, I don't but actually it just made me think of um of being in meetings or watching certain things and when a woman is talking sometimes it feels like the woman is talking a lot and it's like this internalized idea of like we're so used to male voices being centered in the grand scheme of things that sometimes it seems like, oh, you're taking up a lot of time, but it's not that much time. So it just reminded me of that, which is not about kids, but a very similar um, thing of like the perception of who's getting the most talking time. And this is, and, and I say this in like, I don't know, maybe like a work meeting where the, for the most part, everyone who's talking is a white guy. And then a woman starts talking and it's like, it's refreshing. And then it also, there's like a little bit of I don't know, like it's a, it's a subconscious and obviously like a not right, but like a little bit of a feeling of, oh, she's, she's really putting herself out there kind of thing. <laughs> like, you know, where it's like, oh, okay. It's just, it's more like a noticing. It's not like necessarily negative, but more like a noticing. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that happens with, with kids as well. And I did notice, like we did the winter incubator this winter and every single one of us at some point over the four to six weeks was like, I'm so sorry for rambling and going on. It's like, you just said four sentences. Oh, like, exactly, exactly. It's like, oh no, I, I've taken up way too much of your time with my with my four sentences. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is so embarrassing of me and selfish. Yeah. 
That's that's sad. When it's, I kind of like about Zoom, I like many things about not having to put on pants for a meeting, but I kind of like about the Zoom meetings and stuff is um, instead of just feeling like some people are taking up all of the time in the space, and this is, I don't, honestly, I don't go many spaces where men speak a lot. Like, I haven't found any information I want from them, but, but like, in, in, in a lot of the racial justice spaces I go to, white women talk endlessly. They talk until all of the thoughts in their head are out for the world, not like we need them, and they are completely just don't seem concerned with making sure that they don't take up more than half the time speaking in a a space focused on racial justice. Um, And these are the same people who will be like, how do we get more people of color to come in and be like, well, shut up for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But white women will fucking ramble if there's very few men in the room. As soon as a man enters the room, they stop rambling, but like they, it's like, it just pours out. Um, so it used to be in these in these places when we're in person, and I have this like one white woman gatekeeper who's known for rambling in my brain, um, and she would take over a meeting and talk endlessly for like 15, 20 minutes, and and just like the, we would end up like missing out on the reason we came. So now with Zoom, you can see the minutes ticking by. You can actually like not so conspicuously like look at look at the time. Um, I used to think about having like a, a little, like a bidding paddle that I would hold up and it would be like, I'm, I'm not going to call her by her real name, but it'd be, it'd be like, be quiet, Sarah, or like 10 minutes talking, <laughs> like, like I'll have a number of bidding paddles that I'll hold up at different increments. Like it's been 15 minutes, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's actually, because of Zoom and because I think you can see the, the minutes ticking by, she doesn't talk quite as much. She still does. But then I just like, what's nice is everyone, instead of just looking at hers, looking at everyone on the screen. So you can see my face being like, oh my God. Wrap <laughs> <laughs> like, it up. Come on. You got like the hand motion. I'm like, come on, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> you have some music, a little music box. <laughs> we do not keep your, your notes on anti-Asian. <laughs> like, your information on this is just not helpful for us. Um, anyways, <laughs> so just be mindful to it whenever, <laughs> when we're actually rambling is when we are the person with power in the room. Okay. <laughs> I say <Right>. as a- <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice way to sum it up. <laughs> okay. So when we're talking about um, urgency, like what do we need to deal with this now? We think about who is this hurting the most at the moment? Um, in terms of our kids, um, we we think a lot about um, in our culture, which is very results based and very capitalist and very tangible based. Um, if they address something and they can't prove it, like they can't cite specific examples or they don't have recordings of it, um, then and we we shut them down because like that never happened or like oh you're misremembering. Um, what they learn is not to report harm or discomfort or a problem in a relationship until it's gotten so out of control that they have unequivocal proof. And it also kind of leaves them more vulnerable to gaslighting and grooming. So, and that's one of the things that people use in tone policing and not saying that people do it intentionally, but someone says like, oh, you you hurt me with this behavior. And they're like, when? Cite specific examples. Give me dates and times. (laughs) 
And you just shut down the conversation because regardless of whether or not they can prove it, they're feeling like this. So what you need to do is focus on the feeling. Um, so we raise our kids to have some hesitation about saying no or speaking up every time that we shut them down, even if we're shutting them down in a nice way and be like, oh, that's nice, honey. Sorry about that. And then not really listening about what, what they're actually feeling about it. Um, <clears throat> so this expectation of silence normalizes that right to, right to comfort supremacist culture. Um, and it kind of trains our kids. Like we're, we're training them. We want them to be upstanders. We want them to intervene or go get help or not just settle for harm that's happening, but except for when it comes from us. Right? Right. Uh, and we see this in particularly um, anti-oppression groups and community organizing where the person with the most power is actually facilitating the most toxic behavior because they're used to the power, they're used to the right to comfort. I'm working so hard and therefore you guys can't challenge me on everything. Um, and it's really hard to resist that, especially as you become more accustomed to being the person in the room who is expected to speak. Yeah, do you have any thoughts about how that impacts our kids? I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I mean, it hurts ourselves, obviously, because we can't improve without honest feedback, right? If we don't have something in place to solicit and accept and respond to feedback in a way that feels safe for other people, we're not going to get feedback. And then we'll end up being Putin, right? No one wants to <laughs> Ukraine, except for that one guy who lives in a little cubicle of yes men. Um, and then it also just weakens our relationships. So much, so much of what we do is accomplice work and self-advocacy work. And it's going to weaken our relationships with those with less power or people that we're trying to help um, if they can't feel safe being like, yeah, what you're doing is actually kind of saviory, problematic, actually hurting us deeply. Um, <clears throat> so when we talk about how it harms our accomplices, um, you know, that concept of like, we don't talk about that doesn't mean it's not there. And I like to think most of us have moved into like, let's talk about it rather than not talk about it. But I think we all have. Um, some things were like, oh, can we just like put this conversation off indefinitely? <laughs> um, and then that concept of like the people that we're working with can't be completely honest with us because we're too fragile, right? And then those people, instead of confronting us, working through it and building a strong relationship, just do the slow fade. Like when someone slow fades or ghosts you, um, sometimes it's just because they're a coward, but they're also... <laughs> it's just like maybe they don't feel comfortable or safe being like yeah I don't think that I don't think you're going to hear what I have to say and I don't think you're going to change if I do um and then there's no if there's no clear accountability response like we're proactively being like hey if you ever have if I'm doing something problematic um here are people you can talk to about it if you don't feel comfortable talking to me that like building the security network for our kids but also if our kids our kids will come up with like a worst case scenario as they build up with their own anxiety about what we could potentially do if we don't be like, here's how I would respond in this example scenario, right? <clears throat> and that's the case for anyone with any kind of power, any kind of organizing or community work is you have to have an accountability policy that says, here's how I will respond. Here's what protections I have put, I have made sure you have in place. And here's the consequences to me if I don't respond in a way that, that is safe for you. Um, because why would they risk it? <laughs> um, and then it's also like the person who is being hurt is the usually the only one who's going to notice the conflict. Like if, if we're causing harm, we're not going to notice it because we're not feeling the pain. So that puts the onus on the person to be like, now is, a, is now a good time? Is now a good time to point out that they did something 
racist. Like, <laughs> Jimmy, get away. My cat's trying to steal my phone. Okay. <sighs> okay, get, get it. <laughs> Enthusiastically crappy. <laughs> and then we're, we're watching out for false trust. That's one of the things that we want to watch out for is people who are like, oh, we have the kind of relationship where they trust me. I trust them. We're totally honest with each other. Um, you can say that and you can tell your kids, like, well, let's be honest with each other. I hope you can trust me, but that doesn't mean anything without like, you know, some sort of practice behind it. Um, because there's a lot of, <laughs> whenever someone says I'm a good person, you gotta be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> me, like, how? <laughs> makes me scared. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts about other, what did I miss? <laughs> Who does it hurt the most when we are fake honest, I guess? Um, I don't have any thoughts. You're being very thorough and I am being very tired. <laughs> um. <laughs> which, which, which um, here, let's build up the suspense. We're going to weaponize that and our good ideas to avoid today. <laughs> Suspense. I really resisted the urge to say, bet you can't wait. I don't know why. I don't know why that came to my head. <laughs> Can we just like, okay, slowly pick up like infomercial styles? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So in terms of what keeps us from changing, so what are the roadblocks in place that are keeping us from changing? And the only, that's something that we have to, it's going to be different for everybody. <clears throat> there's like, you know, what are our trauma responses? I have a fear of abandonment. So like, I'm, I always have to work through some mental gymnastics about like, if I am honest about what is happening or my slight discomfort with someone, they're just going to drop me and run away. Um, so some of it is just our own baggage, but then there's also more cultural stuff, like stuff that we have been built into the way that we socialize in our culture that that maintain that culture of silence and you think about um like the the myth of colorblind fallacy where people are like if we don't talk about racism it'll eventually disappear <laughs> which all it does is silence people who are affected the most by racism right um so that that it's that's both cultural and it's both an individual problem so when we think about like part of creating brave spaces for our kids is understanding like what are our personal baggages and then talking up to it talking to our kids a little bit not like you know not using our kids as a personal therapist but being like yeah i sometimes have a hard time being honest with people who have power over me because i'm worried that they'll you know take away my my housing or my <laughs> my job that kind of thing um without without pointing out that it's bullshit because sometimes we really are in danger if we speak truth to power um, and so like what kind of fears keep us from owning up to our own problematic behavior? So like, for example, I have this situation where I kind of lost it on my kids once and I <laughs> like replicated my childhood, like what happened when I did something wrong. And I just like went to town on their room, just like picking things up and throwing them down, picking up a hamper and smashing it. I was like, you can't be like this like my kid had like run over a small child on his bike and I was like you can't oh, no. <laughs> I was pissed <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was like you can't do that it was like it was kind of I feel like it was on purpose and aggressive so I was just like oh fuck no right 
Um, so I did some old school parenting where I was like, I smashed a hamper, I think. I was like, I'm not you, but like, I need you to internalize. This is a big fucking deal, right? Whereas our parents used to be able to be like, I will never hit you unless. <laughs> I, think I, I talked to my mom yesterday and she's like, oh yeah, I, I made sure that Asian knew <laughs> that if they did anything wrong, I'd break their face. <laughs> oh like, such a mom thing to say. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> How do we I'll I'll move I'll move a little bit more in the gentler side and be like, if you sma- it will smash your hamper. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's still um it's still intimidating. It's still parenting in a threatening way and I still shouldn't do it. It was definitely a mistake. So one of the things that I feel in my gut is like, maybe if I never mention it again, they'll forget and then they can just, <laughs> we'll leave it behind. But obviously not, like obviously not. That was something, I did it to encode something in his brain without without being, you know, my best self. Um, I completely messed up. And despite the fact that I've apologized, tried to make amends, it's still something you can't undo. So, but I still feel that urge to be like, I wonder if they still remember that. Maybe if I just never mention it, but no, they remember, they mention it. And then I have to be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, having, having to own up to it. Um, that's tricky. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've had so many minutes, times, instances where I wasn't my best self, but just solely based on the amount of pressure and stress I am constantly under. And um, I have, I think I've often tried to be my, the best I can be under the circumstances, under, under the circumstances, which is still not good because the circumstances were so bad, but I always, um, I always apologize. I always explain. I always try to you know age appropriate as I can be to say like this this is not about you I'm real tired this is really hard (laughs) like it's really not about you and I'm sorry that for even a moment I made it feel like it might be about you because it is truly not um and so I I haven't smashed a hamburger but I've I've, (laughs) I've definitely you know lost my temper and just not been my kindest self um and yeah and I think I don't know I wonder what the dynamic like what the difference is in my kids ability to be able to speak up when they have one parent because it's like they're like well we're stuck with you no matter how terrible you are and like that's not good so I so I think I also have a bit of like overcorrection of Oh no no no! Please, like it's not it's it, it's not you. I'm not mad at you. Um, to try to to try to balance that out some, but yeah, it's hard because it's like also sometimes I am mad at you, but like <laughs> sometimes you're just being an asshole, right? <laughs> but it's like the if the overreaction is not ever your fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a good point, and and. I think the times when I lose it the most is when I'm feeling under pressure because I know that other parents are watching. Um, the school is watching mm-hmm. someone to like, you know, you have that ladder of inference where you're like, this means this is going to happen, which means this is going to happen, which means this is going to happen. And for me, 
it's usually uh, the pressure of knowing other adults are seeing them do these things. And then those adults are going to call child services and have them taken away because I'm an incompetent parent. Right. So very much from fear. Um, or like my kid does something at school where like he kicks another kid and I'm like, you can't do that. Other kids can do that. You can't do that. Cause you have you, like, you were the kind of kid with a disability where they will call the cops in and then you'll get more dysregulated. And then the cops will like, there's too many stories about people doing that to autistic kids, calling the cops because they're getting dysregulated. I'm like, you can't afford to get dysregulated at school. It's not safe for you, but I don't have control over it. Um, and that's when I start, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think I think so much of it is about fear. Like so much of it is fear based because it could be like you said other other adults seeing what's going on or seeing how you parent or how they perceive you must parent by the way your kids behave. And then also in in house as the kids get older, it's like, "Oh no, you're 10 and you're still doing this thing." Like why like <laughs> <laughs> And then there's like this panic. There's this worry that you're you're ruining the child, and it's yeah. And none of it's none of it's fair to the poor kids. Like they're just trying to be kids, and we're like, let me save you. It's awkward. And it's so hard to break out of that because our generation, for many of us, we were raised. The only tool that our parents had was intimidation, right? Like our our parents didn't have um, talking it through, child therapy, like all. Right. all that so many parents with power and privilege and wealth had so the only way you can get a kid in line is to smack them or threaten to smack them right yeah. we're going to dismantle that and i on often think about like when my kid is just being a dick i'm like i have no tools in my toolbox other than scaring the shit out of him so i'm lost i have no idea what to do i'm like you're in timeout and they're like no i'm not I'm like i don't know what to do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nobody tells you what to do. We're like trying to rewrite this book and it's like no one no one has any information about how to do it. And also about how to do it in a way that's not overly gentle. Like gentle is maybe cute when they're four, but they're old and they're huge. And like they need to, you know, like they, they have to have more boundaries and they have to have a better understanding of, yes, do this, please, no, no, don't ever do this. And it's, yeah, nobody tells you how to do it. And sometimes I tell my kids that. Sometimes I tell my kids, like, look, when I was a kid, you know, I was I was treated poorly in various ways and I was hit and I was this and I was that. And I, you know, I'm making every effort to not do any of those things with you. And also that means that I have, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I, like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. But, um, you know, if you could please stop like lightly punching me while we're in public and all the other adults could see you, that would be great. Like, yeah. <laughs> like just... and, it, and it's really, and there's so many different, every kid is different. So and there's so many people who are like, Oh, well, what you could do is you could get down on the ground with them and help them. And like, yeah, but everyone has limited resources. Sometimes we are tired. Sometimes that just doesn't work for our child. <laughs> like my yeah. kid is where he goes into a place and people are like wow those parents spoil him rotten i'm like no i have never once conceded to anything he asked for when he's being a jerk he just isn't like that's just the way his brain works and he's gotta let it go out um oh but the the thing that you said about like always reminding them that it's not about them like when we have a shitty reaction and we fly off the handle and our throw our little tantrums it's so helpful to point out and i remember doing that with my kid be like i just lost it and that's because i'm scared 
it's not your fault. You're not doing anything wrong. Like, yeah, don't kick that kid in the face. But like my reaction was disproportionate and that is not your fault. That is all on me. Um, but then, and then also, yeah, having just the single parent because you don't know that you don't have anyone else to go to. Like I was raised by a single parent and it was definitely like, if anything happens between this relationship, no one will catch me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so hard to have to be a single parent knowing that um, your kids your kids, you have more disproportionately more power over your children than you want to have. Right. And you don't want to be afraid and you want them to feel safe or, you know, like they're going to be okay if they, if they challenge you, like they're not going to lose their soul connection to the rest of humanity. Um, And we can try to build security networks with other people in it, but that also relies on other people showing up and, and most people don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it, and it takes, um and it takes time and and also I think as much as I understand that my network of people is sort of becoming more solid or the kids network is becoming more solid over time uh, it still all falls on me you know like it's still like in the in the end for right now it's still all is my stuff to deal with and my responsibility and um yeah it's like it's too much pressure like nobody wants this much responsibility it's not it's not ideal I don't recommend it and um (laughs) and um yeah and so it's it's very hard to find some balance and and it's also like well it's just you and me so you you really have to listen to me you really have to trust that what I am telling you and what I'm requesting of you is what's best for you and that also means that I have to feel a hundred percent sure about what, how did you get in here? <laughs> I'm recording. People can't see Bellamy's face, but they'll look, the door slowly opened, the light came in and the, a big, how did you walk? Oh, that happened. Okay. Also, where's the dog? Bye. <laughs> okay. Eat, eat the cantaloupe. Okay, so it's getting heavy. We're going to... Oh. More? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought I locked the door, but I was rushing beforehand, so I must have forgotten. Or I was so worried that something would happen dog-wise and they would need to get in, and I well, left it. The thing is, if people want to listen to a podcast where kids aren't barging into our like closets that we're locked in, um, then they're going to have to listen to people who talk like they're on the moth. And you know what? It's it's a trade off. <laughs> like I just <laughs> oh the way they talk so angry. So if they want our specific brand of enthusiastic crappiness, they're just going to have to deal with the interruptions. <laughs> And, and in case anybody could barely hear him and is wondering, he was asking for a tub of guacamole. Mm, a whole and that's what it happened because we need to keep recording. <laughs> I am not going to stop this. We're not going to redo it. It's enthusiastically crappy. Okay. That's right. Okay. Good ideas to avoid. Dun, 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 dun. Do, do. <laughs> okay. So today, do, do you have any good ideas that popped up? On <laughs> keep doing <laughs> Yeah, on the left side, if you're facing this 
I didn't really need that information. He came back to tell me exactly where the dog is. He's like, wait, let me give you the exact spot. I didn't need it. In case you're worried it jumped off the balcony. Right. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if you had any good ideas to avoid, because I know you took one good idea and you actually did it in terms of getting the dog. Right. Um, <laughs> All right. But, um, if you have any good ideas to avoid, feel free. Otherwise, I have one locked and loaded. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Okay. So I briefly, sometimes we touch on this, haven't thought it through, shouldn't think it through, is this new show that Bellamy and I could work on called Overplanned and Unprepared, a puppet TV show. And it's basically us as Muppets, right? With our speak to the manager, terrible haircuts. Although Bellamy says that her haircut's bad. I like her haircut. Um, but that's basically, bad. both of us have hair that's just standing straight up at the moment. And it... <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's conducive to being a Muppet um <laughs> so I'm just thinking like as long as we have these haircuts why not make Muppets of ourselves and then have a little Muppet show where it's basically every episode is um we have our speech to the manager Muppet haircuts and Asia, like I run circles around Bellamy while just squawking the entire time and Bellamy's just you know Calm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> they talk a lot. <laughs> every time we have a conversation, it's just me going, blah, 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 and then I info dump and I talk, and it, and you can, I'm sure you can picture in your head, it's like the Muppet, like with its head held back because it's running so fast and its arms flailing around, it's just info dumping on where rocks come from and how. <laughs> supremacy and <laughs> and then and then when I stop to catch my breath Bellamy will say one sentence that summarizes it in a much more succinct accurate way <laughs> alternatively it could be an advice tv show where people ask us for our advice and my advice is genuinely terrible and then Bellamy can <laughs> Like, I'll come in with the quick, easy fix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Show ideas. I like it. Right? You would make the best Muppets. <laughs> I would love to be a Muppet. That would be so fun. <laughs> that would be so fun. Although now there's finally an Muppet on Sesame Street. So true to um, American media, since there's already one Asian, there's not room for it. <laughs> That's it. That's all you get. Yeah. <laughs> we have Aquafina, the really obnoxious anti-black Asian com comic relief in all of the movies. We have that one Asian Muppet on Sesame Street. And in maybe 10 or 20 years, another person gets to get a chance. Yeah, right. Like it's it'll take some time. There's no there's just no space. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're complaining about. There's just there's just no more. There's no more roles. Uh, to be played there's no more shows to be made um, <laughs> it's just impossible there's so many reality dating tv shows though <laughs> this is this is true but also shout out to uh what's her name april on um come on come on not the circle the other one the one we the <laughs> 
up on the ultimatum? Yeah. Well, yes. The Filipina, the Filipina who talks about herself in the third person. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to April. <laughs> <laughs> April knows what she wants, and she's not afraid to get it. <laughs> I think we need to have an entire episode where people don't watch the ultimatum. We just explain what happens. And it just, just explaining what happens is so fun to listen to because it's a bad TV show on a bad premise. It's, it's bad, but it's so good. So good. Very gorgeous, clueless young people. <laughs> I can't, I don't think I, we were talking about like changing our language. So I guess I can't say what I originally said about it. <laughs> But I but but to to cure any listeners' um, curiosity, I think I call them pretty idiots or like no, like a bunch of like gorgeous dum dums. I think yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> mean. It's mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so alternatively, we have a reality TV show cast entirely by Muppets. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That works. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that overplanned and underprepared puppet TV show. That is the end of our good ideas to avoid. Do, 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 do. do. <laughs> okay, as always, instead of sending you uh, spiraling to a pit of despair, now that you know that this problem exists and all of us do it in terms of um, fostering a culture of silence, if we want to create brave spaces, not safe spaces, there's no such thing as safe spaces, but brave spaces where we are. Um, you know, perpetually trying to stay in the growth zone of discomfort without dysregulation. Um, but how? I like to, you know, put some tools out there so we don't end up being like, Gah. okay, so how are we going to transform the way we address conflict while also raising kids who understand a new way of being? Um, and I think um, I've been trying trying out the concept of co-regulation, which briefly is instead of being this stoic, always calm adult where our children are losing their shit and we're like, okay, if we model what it's like to not feel, have feelings, eventually they too will look like they don't have feelings. <laughs> <That's> not <cool. laughs> I don't know what I expected you to say. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Right? Because you feel <laughs> I remember thinking for the first bunch of years of their life, okay, if I just keep a blank face, then they will eventually, like, I will breathe deeply. They will learn how to breathe deeply and be like, calm down. It's like the the body language communication equivalent of, like, calm down. Like, yeah. <laughs> so co-regulation is allowing yourself to get a little bit dysregulated, you know, within a window of tolerance where you're not dangerous, you're not breaking boundaries or anything like that, but you're allowing yourself to be like, oh, my gosh. So now what I do is when my kids are starting to just be annoying or like, you know, really just being difficult, what I do is I speak out loud, like you screaming in my ear is kind of freaking me out. And I am going to breathe deeply to try and get through this without smashing a hamper. (laughs) (laughs) Done that once, never again. (laughs) I've learned my lesson. We all make mistakes. Um, So one of the, so I've been doing that and it worked, it was so weird. It worked almost instantly. I did it three times in one day while I was cooking dinner. One kid came bounding in here, screaming in my ear. And I'm like, scream, you screaming in my ear is really messing with me. 
<gasps> and it's focused not on like asking them questions, not on like, not on feeding into their dysregulation, but pointing out how their dysregulation is, is impacting you without blaming them. Not saying like, you are causing me to be upset, but like this screaming, this behavior that you are doing, here's how it's dysregulating me. Here's what I am doing to regulate myself. And then within 45 minutes, my kid came in dysregulated and started putting his hand on his chest the way that I was doing it and then breathing through it. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Magical. Magic. So it's really important that when our kids come to us with these, it is dysregulating to hear, especially when they're criticizing us or they're, they're saying like, you're a terrible parent, you did all these terrible things. And I'm, you're like, I, that's not how I remember it, buddy. You just accept that that's their truth. That's the impact. And then you're like, okay, yikes, because I'm a human. Regulate yourself in front of them. Talk through what you're doing, especially for kids who don't pick up on body language. Um, and then model speaking and receiving truth to power. So like when I am afraid to talk to someone or afraid to uh, respond or, or, you know, speak truth to bullshit, I will talk about it with my kids. And I'll be like, here's what I'm afraid could happen to me or us. Here's what I'm afraid of the consequences are. Here's why I'm choosing to do it. Or here's why I'm choosing to keep myself safe. And that's totally valid. Um, so modeling it, but also modeling receiving it in a not stoic way, but in a way that we regulate ourselves in front of them and be like, wow, that makes me feel like a really terrible parent. <laughs> and like, I am glad you told me that that's hard to hear. Like, it's okay to admit that it's hard to hear without blaming them. Um, so pointing out how it feels, pointing out the risks, or even that ladder of inference, because my kids will go from zero to a thousand really fast being like, um, <laughs> like, my brother said he wants one extra minute on video games, which means forever that's going to happen, which means he's always going to have everything, which means I'm going to die in a ditch. So <laughs> they go very fast. Um, so for me to talk through my own ladder of inference, like, I'm afraid that because you kicked that kid in the face, everyone's going to think I'm a bad parent, you're going to get placed into a different home. And, and then I point out how that's ridiculous, because I don't want them taking on my fear. I don't want them extrapolating and earning my anxiety. Um, and then, but really focusing on what we're working towards. Um, and then once we, once we're on the same page, we're both dysregulated, we're, we both um, are having a hard time. Then I name what our common goal is, or even ask them, I'm like, okay, what's more important, you getting more chocolate, or you and me having a good relationship as you get older? Most of the time, <laughs> they will, most of the time, they will say like the, the higher order um, I want to maintain this relationship. Sometimes they want the chocolate. <laughs> it's okay. Mom, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want the chocolate. You can die in a ditch. <laughs> it all ends with somebody dying in a ditch. Right. It's very weird. <laughs> Ladder of inference always goes. Dying in a ditch. <laughs> so doing that, once you're on the same page about what your common goal is, they kind of like, they come down off of, that dysregulation and they then we can shift it also helps me shift from feeling criticized and attacked into being like oh we actually have a common goal so my feelings while valid are kind of irrelevant and now we need to focus on our common goal um <clears throat> and then the other thing is addressing tension before we have proof checking in with our kids and being like hey um <laughs> something feels weird and if they say no be like okay it's impacting me something feels weird if you want to talk about it, here's what's going to happen. Here's how I promise to respond. I'm not going to hit. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to take away your video games. 
Um, because so many parents are like, you're safe to tell me things, but then they punish their kids for telling, <laughs> telling them the truth. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so I have, I have my little, uh, my accountability process of how to accept critical feedback without being an asshat, but do you have any tips or tricks that you, you've fallen back on? Um, no, just, I mean, maybe just listen and pause. And if you feel that your initial reaction might be an overreaction or out of line or denial, just put a pause on the conversation. Thanks for telling me. I'm going to think about that for a little bit and we can talk about it later, like rather than react horribly. (laughs) Nice. Um, So I broke it down into like eight quick steps, um, including when the feedback is genuine bullshit, because it doesn't matter whether their feedback is is based on, you know, them just wanting more candy um, or like it's actually hurting them because it does not matter. We have to accept their their feedback is true, at least for a little bit. (laughs) Um, So having a policy ahead of time is really nice. So like the kids know that I'm never going to punish them if they if they come home and, and tell me like, hey, mom, I did something racist. Um, and, <laughs> and then, you know, saying thank you whenever someone challenges me, <clears throat> you know, I write a lot of articles. I make a lot of stuff. I say a lot of things. And most of the time my language is off. I, I say something that didn't land well with people and they give me feedback. And my first thought is like, how dare you? I'm doing my best. I don't say that, though. <laughs> I just, thank you. Thank you so much. That must have been like hard to like drum up the, like, cause you don't, you don't know me. Um, it must've been hard to, to bring that up. I appreciate you taking the time and the effort and then taking some time, like Bellamy said, but also naming the impact. Um, you know, like when the teacher told me my kid did something racist, I was like, that was really racist what he did because people who are giving you feedback are probably feeling some sort of pain or discomfort and they need to hear you actually name it as opposed to being like, oh, so sorry about your feelings. <laughs> like that <laughs> I did, but like really naming the impact. Um, and then internally centering who is most impacted by this, who is most at risk? Um, what are the odds I'm actually gonna die in a ditch versus this person, I really do hold power over this person. Like I could slander them. I could, I could um, you know, alienate them in some way. So centering the person most impacted. And sometimes that's gonna take a while, which is why Bellamy's idea too wait a little bit is a really good idea. Um, and then, like I said earlier, naming a common goal, once everyone's a little bit, a little bit calmer, naming what is our common goal here and then setting boundaries because I'll be like, well, our goal, you and me, kiddo, our goal is we can maintain a relationship long past you moving out of the house, growing into adulthood. Um, what I will not do, however, is allow you to eat yourself, eat candy to the point where you develop type two diabetes at the age of seven. Like I will not do that. (laughs) I'm going to have some boundaries around that, but knowing my boundaries, what is your goal with this? Right. And then asking, what does justice look like for them? Like, what does it look like for me to make up for that damaged hamper? Is it replacement? Is it apologizing? Is it, you know, we always in transformative justice and restorative justice, it's a survivor centered approach. So what does it look like for you? Which doesn't mean you have to do it. Um, my kids apologize all the time and to each other and ask what I can do to make it up for you to you. And sometimes the ideas they have are unreasonable. <laughs> my kids do, um, is there anything I can do to help? And the answer is almost always no. Yeah. So, so. It- 
the answer is almost always a hug, which is really nice for us. Like, I need a hug. I need you to hug yeah. me. But sometimes I need you to move out and give me all of your candy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think my kids are like, no, I have to play with you anyway. So I'll just get over it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing you can do. The world is a hellish landscape. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then you die in a ditch. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so reinforcing boundaries or affirming boundaries based on completely ridiculous responses. Um, but usually what people ask for is reasonable. Like m- most people, if, if they genuinely are hurt, they're just asking to be heard or whatever. Um, and sometimes some of our more dramatic kids can be a little bit unreasonable and it's okay to establish boundaries. So that's how we've been working on how to create a brave space in our family. I don't, I don't think I'll know if it worked or not until they become like 20 or 30 and do or do not go on a mass murder spree. Like uh, it's, it's hard with parenting. You don't know if what you're doing is actually working, but that's what we're doing. Can't say, not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say it works for everybody. It's working for us so far. <laughs> no one has yet died in a ditch. No one's died in a ditch. <laughs> we have into ditches, but we have gotten ourselves out a lot. <laughs> so, um, quick shout out to our communities. Um, we have more people joining the the Books for Littles newsletter to get um, podcast episodes and stuff like that. And people are responding and reciprocating in ways that are very wholesome and helpful. And I really appreciate you guys, you people. <laughs> and, Um, Also, I took a break from the internet for like a week and my Luminary Brain Trust people maintained conversations and started posts and it was wonderful. Like, I don't have to, I don't feel that obligation to like constantly be on top of things or else everyone will fall apart because people are coming together and it's so lovely to see everyone helping each other. Um, What's going on with when we gather in the revolutionary humans community? Oh no, you put me on the spot. Um... (laughs) Uh, what's going on when we gather? Um, we are we are gathering. We've got a few um, a few members, and uh, we have a, a book club meeting coming coming up, and a discussion about courageous parenting. Um, it's coming up next week, I think. And so you can go to revolutionaryhumans.com to find out more info. Yeah, sign up for when we gather. Oh yes, yeah. awesome. Uh, uh, the there's an exercise today there's like a graphic exercise and there's some writing prompts and they actually directly tie into what we talked about today we're like how what does courage look like what does it look like to overcome some of the things that you're having conflict with with your own kids um and they are very helpful next step things if you want to continue this work um so this week's assignment is commit so create a simple response policy and make sure your kid knows about it, right? Because it's one thing for us to know, oh, I, this is what I'll do. But if our kids don't know, it's kind of worthless. So a quick, like, one, two, three response policy. What are they going to hear from you? Um, and then tell your family about it. But also share your tips. Tell us about it um, on creating a brave. How do you create a brave space with your kids? What did we miss? Um, what terrible ideas did you agree with? Because we want to hear your feedback. We will, we will thank you for that feedback. <laughs> um, and we will not. We will not push you into a ditch. So yeah, leave uh, your <laughs> leave your commitment in the episode comments. That's at 
com slash podcast or leave a voicemail and let us know if you want us to play it on the next podcast or not. That's totally cool. It's 781-342-0486. And we want to hear voicemails. That would be fun, I think. That would be so, so fun. Enjoy the Gather Courageous Conversation coming up. Okay, so next week, I have no idea what we're talking about, but we will, I will be back next week. Maybe Bellamy will too. And um, everything you need is in the resources and the, we're going to make a transcript of this post. Links in the show notes at raisingluminaries.com. Yay. Woo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll try and get a picture of, of the new doggy. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.